Well, you may have noticed a few days ago that we entered a new year. Indeed, not just a new year, but a new decade. And as that moment approaches, you find in the media all sorts of things that they do. <coughs> Excuse me, two things. They look back and they look forward. So they look back to what has been and think about what might be. Uh, and there's an element of that's what we're going to do this morning. But let me share with you some of the things of looking back, because it's amazing how many things that become the norm by the end of the decade that weren't there at the beginning. You know, um, let's take one of those, the iPad. You know, it was 10 years ago, 2010, that the first iPad was launched. I wonder how many of us now use tablets regularly. I, I do, yeah, quite a few of us do. Uh, and what happens with that is it's transformed our way of doing emails, or perhaps talking to people where you see them face to face rather than just hear the voice. All of these kind of things that happen that are totally different from 10 years ago. <clears throat> in fact, it was only in 2013 that the word selfie became part of our language as people started taking selfies. It's, it's fairly recent, isn't it? Um, not just in that, as we were looking back, some of the big events that happened. 29th of April, 2011, 28 million people, I think it was, joined in watching together as Prince William and Catherine Middleton got married. Uh, of course, as you look then later on in the decade, as they end the decade, they've got three children together. Life is very different for them. Uh, there have been a, a real change in attitudes over the last 10 years as well. Uh, the treatment, and particularly with sexual harassment of women, had in 2017 the Me Too campaign. Uh, and there's been lots of differences in attitudes. We could look at um, attitudes and the rights of uh, LGBT uh, community and all that's changed in society. Um, 2014, same-sex marriages being legalized in the UK. These kind of things which show a sea change of different attitudes. Uh, and also, of course, not only in that aspect, but in the environment too. Perhaps uh, Blue Planet 2, uh, which ran towards the end of 2017, did more than anything to raise our awareness of the danger of plastic and the impact that it's having on the environment. Uh, this had started perhaps earlier on. It was 2015 that started being charged for um, plastic bags uh, and the encouragement to get the bag for life. So many things change, don't they, in 10 years. And it, what is normal for us as we enter 2020 might have been very different 10 years ago. Of course, what happens uh, then is that we are entering a new period. Uh, and so what I want to talk about and what this series over the next few weeks is going to look about is the fact that we, as we enter a new year and a new decade... We're going to look at some of the things that the Bible talks about being new for different passages which talks about something new. New life, a new hope, a new command, a new spirit. What's going to happen in the coming years? Um, of course, what is going to happen, is, who knows what the next 10 years will be. I put some technology stuff there that might be different 10 years from now. Um, virtual reality, 3D printing, self-driving cars 
Will they be the norm in 2030? Where are things heading? But as we look at today, that's not really what I want to look at most. What I want to think about is spiritually, where are we heading? And again, this is where the series comes about of new. Where are we heading as a society and as individuals? If we look back over the last 10 years, what's been happening in society spiritually? Well, we could probably say that there are more and more people who identify themselves as having no religion. In the under-25 age group now, recently it was seen that more than two-thirds of people would describe themselves as having no religion. Churches across the country are by and large getting older, and there are fewer people who are giving their lives to Christ at a younger age. Doesn't mean it's not happening, but generally as a trend, that's what's been happening. What's going to happen in the next 10 years? My prayer is, and I would invite you to join with me in praying for this, is that over the next 10 years, we will see a reversal of this, and we will see a new wave of spirituality, of people not just saying, I'm spiritual, but discovering the truth of who God is and what he has done for us through Jesus. Truths that for many of us are very special, but many others need to experience as well the wonder of what it means to know God. But what will happen for us as well? What are we going to have in our spiritual life over this coming year and the years ahead? Are we going to be growing? Or are we going to be stagnating? Or are we going to be falling away? It, it calls us to think about where am I now? in my spiritual journey. There may be, well, there will be those of us in very different places here today. There will be those who perhaps aren't quite sure of where they are at on the Christian journey. They're not sure about God. Does God even exist? There will be others who might be, well, maybe church and coming along to church is something that happens more out of habit than anything else. If you really talk about, do I have a close relationship with God? The answer is, not particularly. And there'll be others who are excited and enthusiastic and feel very close to God. And there's a whole lot of things in between. I haven't covered everything there, but there are some examples of where people may be at today. Where are you at? What's going to happen over the coming year? Are we going to grow, stagnate? or fall away? It's into this question that I want to bring the verse of Scripture in particular that I want to concentrate on today from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And we see, don't we, with uh, the new year, the celebrations, the hopes that people have as 2019 goes to 2020, the fireworks that there are, the parties that there are, the hope that there is. Paul wants us to understand something of this, that in the newness of the new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. This is exciting. This is good news. That's what he wants us to start with and to understand. Uh, and that's the background for everything that I want to talk about this morning. 
What God has done for us through Jesus is exciting, it's good, it removes the old and brings in the new. This is good news. Let me give you a little bit of context to this because I think it will help us in our understanding. Um, The reading is from 2 Corinthians, the second letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. Except actually, it's probably the fourth letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. Um, In 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9, Paul talks about a previous letter he sent. So that previous letter was the first letter, and 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that he sent. Try and bear with me here for a moment. Um, 2 Corinthians, in chapter 2, it talks about a previous letter that Paul has sent, which um, would have caused them upset and pain, because it was quite a hard letter. So that was the third letter that he sent. So this is now the fourth letter, which we call 2 Corinthians. But it's important for us to understand that because it it brings a backdrop and a background to help us understand what's going on in this passage. Paul had written his previous letter, the third letter that we don't have and have to kind of piece together before this fourth letter that is 2 Corinthians. Hope you're with me still. Um, He writes that letter because there's some turmoil in the church. There are people who have come along who are opposing what Paul says. And they brought all kinds of accusations against him. The fact that um, when he's he's writing, he's bold, but in person, he's not. Uh, He's not as eloquent as he might be. And they're more eloquent than him. But overall, one of their biggest criticisms of Paul is this. He's suffering in all manner of ways. And surely the authenticity of what he says is that God would be blessing him and he wouldn't be suffering. That's a theology that goes on, and it's hell today. You know, it's quite straightforward, isn't it? If there's a God, God loves you. Therefore, if God loves you and he's powerful, he will bring good to your life. And the reason if you're not receiving good in your life is it's because you're bad and you're not doing God's, what God is saying. It's quite a simple theology. The problem is it's wrong. It's wrong. Just look at the life of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. That was immense suffering. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. Uh, So some of what Paul is writing in the context of this is for us to understand that there have been criticisms. And the third letter, which we don't have, is a call to the church in Corinth to repent and turn back to God. And many of them do. And Paul, in this fourth letter to Corinthians, wants to explain something more to them about what is going on. Uh, And verses we didn't read that go back earlier on in the chapter talk about the fact that there is suffering uh, and the longing to be in the heavenly body where God has made everything right and the longing to be away from the suffering of this world, but actually God calls us to be part of this world, and that means in being part of this world, we suffer for a time. That's some of the context of what's going on. And it's important, so as we read the earlier verses, it says, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. In other words, he's sure that God understands what his ministry is about and the truth of his ministry, and he hopes that they do as well, but he knows that they have rejected him at times, and there's been this battle going on. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us 
so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. So the things that would be seen would be things like um, the eloquence of somebody speaking. And there were more eloquent speakers in the church of Corinth than Paul had been. And some were taking that as a sign, therefore God's blessing them. And maybe Paul isn't right. But Paul is saying here, what's going on in the heart is actually more important. If we are out of our mind, so there's another accusation that has come to him. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And then Paul wants to reveal some of the heart that he has, which is why he is writing to them. Uh, And it's the context for this idea of the new creation and the old going and the new being here. He says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You have the gospel in these couple of verses. It starts with the fact that Christ's love is there. Christ loves me. That's what compels me in the way that I live. How do I see it? One died. Jesus died for all. One died for all that those, uh, and therefore, all died. So what that means is we all died to our sins, all died to the wrong things in our life, to the separation that we had from God. So that we no longer live for ourselves, we live for God. For him who died and rose again and reigns eternally. This is the context for which Paul speaks these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Let me just say a couple of words about this as I continue to just try and build a picture for you of what's going on in this verse. If anyone is in Christ, what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, there are whole books that have been written on that, and I can only give a very, very brief suggestion. I don't want to get carried away and go off in too many different directions with this. I just want to say to be in Christ is to believe, to follow. To believe and to follow, to give your life for it. To be in Christ is one who says, I believe in what Jesus has done, and I follow him. I accept what he has brought to me, and I live my life in light of that. That's what it means to be in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And this is an important thing that I want to say, and I'll come back to it later. We in the West are quite individualistic in the way we view things. So when we read a verse like this, it's easy to see, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Uh, And we talk, it's one of those words, it perhaps particularly came out in the 1980s, um, I am a new creation. We apply this verse personally to us. I am a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. It's all about me. Now, it's not less than that because it is all about us, but it's more than that as well. This is actually a cosmic thing that Paul is talking about. It's the story of the whole of the Bible, of what God has come to do. You see, the Bible starts with a problem. God creates the world, and he creates it perfectly. He creates human beings to be in relationship with him. But in the earliest chapters of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we're told how human beings reject God and his ways. There is a breakdown in the relationship. 
And to be honest, the rest of the Bible, in its broadest form, is about God reaching out, trying to restore that relationship and that creation to what it was always intended to be. And so what Jesus does is he is God's answer to the broken relationship He is the means by which reconciliation comes through his sacrifice, through his giving of his life perfectly to God's way, shows what one person can do as he restores us to the opportunity of having that perfect relationship with God, which one day will be seen and which is prophesied in the book of Revelation. And so when he talks here about, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, he's talking about the reconciliation that we can enjoy with God now in our lives, that we experience in part, but one day we'll experience in all its fullness. We are part of a new creation, but we are not fully there yet. We see in part, and one day we will see fully. We experience in part, this is why sometimes When we pray, we see wonderful answers to prayer, but there are other times when we are left with questions, because for now we see in part and we experience in part, but one day we will see fully and experience fully. But right now, when we are in Christ, when we give our lives to him, we are part of that full, enormous, amazing picture that God has of what will be, and we enjoy it in part now and look forward to what it will be in the future. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. We already enjoy it. The old has gone, the problem of sin and the broken relationship, and the new we experience now because it's here through Jesus. This is why he talks about a ministry of reconciliation. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what it's all about. Jesus came to die, to take all the things that we have done wrong so that we can enjoy the reconciliation of relationship with our God who loves us. And this, as we experience it, leads us to a new way of thinking, a new way of being, a new way of acting, new priorities that place him right at the center of our lives. And the question that we can ask around this for what happens in the new year, how much do you want to grow in this new life and to experience this new creation that God has for us? How much do we want to grow? I I guess a number of us may have made some New Year's resolutions. One of the most common ones around to do with things with health. So it might be dieting or exercising. Gym memberships traditionally go through the roof in January, perhaps after the excesses of Christmas and people thinking, I'm going to go to the gym. Uh, And then usually by about three or four weeks later, the gym membership is still being paid for and the gym is not being used very much. That would be statistically what happens. But every now and again, you see stories or adverts for things that encourage you to think, Actually, wow, aren't the results amazing? So uh, I saw a newspaper story recently about a chap called John who was um, called the biggest loser for Weight Watchers. There's a picture of him in there. Uh, He lost over 20 stone with Weight Watchers in 2019. Isn't that incredible? 
Um, you know, it's what can be done. Uh, and we see that, and we think, isn't that amazing? Maybe, may, maybe Slimmingwood would work for us. That's what we can think. Um, you know, maybe you see sometimes, and I've seen in adverts, these, these people who, um, who are really, you know, well-toned, well-honed. Uh, and it's got a picture of them of what they were like six weeks earlier. And they say, from this to this, in just six weeks, you can do it as well. Of course, what it doesn't talk to you about is all the dedication and the discipline that goes in with that. Uh, other, other New Year's resolutions that people might have, learn a new language, learn an instrument, these kind of things. Now, for most of us, learning a new language or learning to play an instrument is possible. The question is, are we going to prioritize it enough and be disciplined enough day by day and week by week to make that possible? And it comes down to how much do we really want it? How much do we really want it? And that's why I think it's an important question for us to ask. With a verse like this, which is full of encouragement, full of excitement, full of possibility of what can be, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, how much do we want that? How much do we want to grow in it in the coming year? Enough to do something about it, or just to be here on a Sunday morning and say, oh yeah, that sounds good, I'd like that. Uh, and don't get me wrong, because I'm not criticizing that, that's good, I'm glad that you are here. But actually, it will take more than that. It will take more than us coming on a Sunday morning and singing a few songs uh, and enjoying being with one another and listening to a sermon. It will take more than that if we want to grow in the coming year. How much are we going to prioritize that? How important is it to us? Let me just suggest Three, I'm going to try and do this fairly briefly, three dangers that we can face in our good intentions that we might have to grow in faith. The first is this, we can have a pra pragmatic view. Is it working? Is it working? It comes back to this individual view. I prayed a prayer, did I see an answer? It comes back to what Paul was saying and the criticism there was of Paul. Oh, surely, if Paul is being blessed by God, he shouldn't be suffering. He's suffering, therefore he's not blessed by God. It's not working. That's where we can get to. You know, we can look at things and say, well, I prayed for this and I can't see the answer. It's all we're looking about what's happening with me. Are we looking at what the promises of Scripture are? that tell us that we will suffer in this world, that things will go wrong, that there will be questions that we have about why is this happening. That's been the experience of people in Scripture that we read of and for people throughout time. The question is, do we have trust and faith in the promises of the Bible that say one day God will make everything all right, that all things will be new, that there is a new creation? Are we going to trust in that even when things go wrong? Because my experience in pastoral ministry is I see too often, time and time again, people's faith that is not too much because actually they prayed a prayer and everything has not become all right straight away. And I know that's hard and I'm not pretending anything else otherwise than that. And I know we have questions and we don't understand. But the faith that we're supposed to hold on to and we need to 
really grasp in our heads if we're going to grow is that, yes, this world has troubles, this world has suffering, but one day God will make it all right and everything will be good for all of eternity. Not just for a day, a week, or a month, or a year. Not just for one little thing that's going on, or one big thing that seems to be going in our lives. For the whole of creation. That's what God is going to do. So we need to have this danger sign of, if of, we have a pragmatic view, I'm praying, am I seeing an answer straight away for my prayers? Sometimes we do, and it's amazing and it's a blessing, but sometimes we go through saying, I don't understand what's going on, I don't know why these prayers are not being answered. Hold on. Be aware of having a pragmatic faith that says, it only is true if it's working for me right now. There's a whole bigger story than that. A second danger, a worldly view. Paul talks about the worldly view in verse 16. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. You see, there's a world's way of looking at things. Uh, And I just picked up one thing of a Western view of the world, that we're consumers. Uh, And actually, that's something that can naturally impart on us in our, the outworking of our faith. We become consumers. What do I mean by that? Well, we fit our faith into the rest of our lives. So we come to church on Sunday if it fits in with what's going on in the rest of our lives. We fit our Bible reading in and our praying in if it fits in with everything else that is going on. If it doesn't, well, we'll come back to it some time later. If things that are going on that will be the outworking of our faith that don't fit with other plans that we've got. We do the other plans perhaps first. It's very easy to do, and most of us will have challenges in that direction. I stand here as somebody who has those challenges uh, very often. You know, what am I going to do? But it goes on from this as well, because we become consumers. We can become consumers of God's grace. Let me explain what I mean by that. It's very simple. We say, and, and there's a truth in this, there's a theological truth, God's grace is so great that however many times I get things wrong, he'll forgive me. That's true. Therefore, it doesn't matter what I do now because I can do whatever I like because God will forgive me. That is a problem that there has been throughout church history that people have fallen into that trap of saying, God's grace is so great, it doesn't matter what I do now. And we can fall into that too easily. We can get into that habit of actually, oh, I I can come back to God and say sorry. I'll come back to God and say sorry on a Sunday. I'm going to give in to this. I'm going to do what I want. See, we become consumers of God's grace. And I want to challenge myself and all of us against that. You know, if we want to grow in our life, in being in part of this new creation, it's about standing up to consumerism and the consumerist nature that we might have that just becomes so naturally a part of who we are that we don't even realize that that's what's happening. And to get back to this idea of saying we need to view things completely differently. That's what Jesus offers us, a completely different way of viewing things. The final thing that I just want to say is this is a moral view, a moral view as well. Uh, And I want to criticize this and say, or raise warning signs for this, because it doesn't go far enough. The moral view is this, uh, and it's held by a lot of people, especially outside of the church, that 
actually what Christianity is about is about a set of beliefs and a list of things we shouldn't do. It becomes something that's a moral thing. So you believe something and you don't do certain things. That's what faith is. And there will be people outside of the church who, by and large, believe that. You know, I hear people say, I don't think I'm good enough to go to church. I'm not good enough. Because there's a moral standard. And there's a problem with this moral view. Now, first of all, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying morals don't matter here. Okay, that's not what I'm saying at all, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But what I'm saying is we are all fallen human beings. We all do things wrong. And if we have this moral view that this is what my faith is about, it's about a set of beliefs and a set of things I should or shouldn't do, when I fail in any of those things, I carry with me a burden of shame, I carry with me a burden of guilt, and I'm losing out on the life that Jesus came to bring. When I become so entrenched in this view that I put that same standard on everyone else, whenever they don't meet those standards, I look at them in judgment and say, well, they are not meeting God's standards, and it affects how I view people. There is a danger to that because actually what Jesus came to do and the new creation that he has brought is far greater than any of these things. It's no coincidence that Jesus' harshest words were saved for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were very moral according to the standards of the time. They had a list of beliefs and a list of things to do and don't do, but they were robbing the people of the joy that there should be in a reconciled relationship with our God. You see, what we need to understand is that a moral view will take us so far on a journey, but it will never take us far enough because there's a difference. You see, when you have a set of beliefs, you have an allegiance. Jesus didn't come to bring us an allegiance. He came to change our identity. When we confess our faith because of our set of beliefs, that's what he came to bring. But actually, Jesus came to bring an experience of his very presence that takes us beyond that. When we have a system of moral things that we should or shouldn't do, we have a weight of a list. When we have Jesus, we have a transformed mind that changes what brings us joy and what really brings us fulfillment in life. The moral law will never take us far enough. Jesus came to free us from that. It says in Romans 8, chapter 3, sorry, verse 3, Romans 8, verse 3. God did this, oh, sorry, for what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. He's come and given us Jesus to deal with the law because we failed in the law. That's what the whole of the Old Testament is about, the people following a law and failing to live up to God's standards. 
That's all it does. It reveals we've, we fail to live up to God's standards. We need somebody to deal with that. And that's what Jesus does. And he wants us to have the freedom that says, yes, I may have messed up. I may have got things wrong again and again, but I'm still loved by him. And he wants to free me to change my mind so that those things that I did that were wrong, I no longer want to do because I'm so in love with Jesus and what he has done for me and all that means to have a relationship with him that my mind is completely transformed. And that's how we grow. I'll just finish with a picture. This is a picture of what happens to a car. The, let me just say the driver was uninjured in this. But this is what happens if you spray too much air freshener and light a cigarette in your car. That's what happens. See, air freshener in itself isn't bad. Misused, it causes damage. Uh, and what I want to say today as I finish is that we have this wonderful verse of Scripture of what God has done for us through Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This is great, but if we aren't careful, we can end up damaging something that is so precious. If we have this pragmatic view that just says, is it working for me right now? If we have a worldly view that doesn't take us beyond consumerism, if we take a moral view that doesn't take us beyond the wonders of a reconciled relationship with our God. And my prayer for each and every one of us in this new year is that we can embrace the wonders of these words of Paul that speak of the excitement of being new creations and being part of the big picture of God who is bringing all things to himself and will one day make all things right and wonderful as it was always intended to be and we shall enjoy it with him for all of eternity. May we grow in that in the year ahead. Amen.